You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Ah, uh, my favorite day. Movie day. Movie? What's, what's a movie? <laughs> what's a movie? Yeah. You're Joe, right? Yeah, last uh, time I checked. Aren't you my co-host on Digital Noise? Uh-huh. And you know that big stack of like rectangular things, I, I cardboard things? Yeah, yeah, the, the, the table eveners. What? Yeah, you use them to, to even those rickety tables. Are you saying you didn't watch any of the movies this week? Those are the things on the on the little circle things inside? Yes! Well, I mean, I watched them go as I would flick them about the room. Oh, uh, well, to be fair, for some of these, that's the only appropriate way. Oh, yeah. all right. But let's just get into it, okay? <laughs> okay. Noise. I'm here with Joe. Hello. And we are, we've got a load of movies and TV shows to go through, so we're going to talk about it this week. First, thank you so much for being a listener. Really, 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 there's no time like the present. Please help the site out by becoming a subscriber. Multiple things that you get by being a subscriber and more on the way, including a lot more video. And I've got a hidden cache of a bunch of stuff no one's ever seen before that's going up relatively soon. Uh, in the subscriber forms of stuff from the old days, from the old spill days. But you can only get it through geocaching. No. No? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> yes. It's not actually in the form, just clues that you yeah, have just to coordinate to find the GPS coordinates <laughs> to dig up like hidden suitcases filled with empty beer bottles. Uh, somebody will buy it. Rags covered with bow spittle. Oh, yeah. Somebody will definitely buy that. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that nothing supports the site more than becoming a subscriber. By being a subscriber, you're really just showing your support to the site in general. Thank you so much if you already are one. And if you're not, please, please, please consider being one. Also, if you go to the page itself, I don't know if you're getting this podcast from iTunes or if you're getting it uh, through Stitcher or if you're just going right through the site. But the, the page on oneofus.net has images of all the titles that we're talking about this week. If you click on those images, it'll take you to the uh, appropriate Amazon.com page to buy said product. Mm -hmm. If you Mm -hmm. buy that product or if you don't even want to buy that product, say you're just going shopping for a washing machine. Or table levelers, apparently. Or or table levelers or vibrators or whatever it is. As long as you start from one of our links, we get a kickback from whatever you buy on Amazon. So do that. A little slice of the pie. (laughs) All right. And with... uh, no further ado, let's get into the rev- reviews. And we are, uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's it's really full on winter here in Austin. Mm-hmm. Oh, bro. yeah, we're t- we're totally snowed in. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> see what I did there? I know what it was a Snowden pun because that's the first movie. Oh, right, because that's about. his name, right? Yeah, Edward okay. Snowden. Oh. Well, I mean, his name in the movie, the, the actual actor is Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing Edward Snowden. Mm-hmm. Famous, is he a hero or a traitor? Or is Joseph Gordon-Levitt putting his voice down really annoying or not? <laughs> it was less annoying than some of the accents he's done recently. True, but for the first 30 minutes, it was a recalibration. It was like, uh, damn it, Tommy, just talk normal. I was I kind of wishing he would stop doing that. Yeah. Just like, just just play the role. There was, like, <laughs> I don't think you're, we're all going to be like, that's not Edward Snowden. Yeah, we're still not going to confuse you with the guy. <laughs> yeah. uh, in 2013, Snowden uh, arranged a a clandestine meet 
in Hong Kong with uh, some journalists it was and a documentarian to basically talk about the classified information that he had regarding mass surveillance by the NSA. Now, a lot of people know the basics of this whole thing. This movie, directed by Oliver Stone, who we know can be a bit of a muckraker, mm-hmm. well, just slightly, <laughs> is uh, definitely slanted heavily towards pro-Edward Snowden. But to be fair, I was kind of on its side, because so am I. <laughs> yeah, as one should be. Yeah, I'm not... You know, I think even Snowden is afterwards talk shit about Julian Assange because he's kind of a shit Shit bag. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But at the time he seemed like the, the way to go with passing information on to him. Uh, this is Snowden's story, not, not Assange's. And I thought overall the story, which like, you know, it starts with the framing device of him talking to the documentarian and the journalist, Mm -hmm. and then going back and telling his whole story actually did a pretty good job overall of not just like giving you a full picture of what exactly happened. Cause I I know I, even I was very confused over the details of what had gone down of how it got went down and whatnot, but examining like why you know, the argument of why some people think he's a traitor, why people think he's a hero, but still firmly, like I said, on the side of Oh, let's let's not let's not mince ideas here. What he did was treason. <laughs> I mean technically <laughs> unequivocally it was treason. Now to to what to what point, that's that's more of what it tries to do. But the explore. question is if you are revealing an illegal action by the government. Is mm-hmm. it treason is the question. No, it's still treasonous. He was giving up secrets that were deemed top and above. Right, right. I'm just – that's where the question becomes more complicated. Like, mm-hmm. Should that be counted as treason is my point <laughs> if you're actually revealing that your government is doing illegal things to its own people. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. completely. Like don't get me wrong. On the side of right, just <laughs> legally speaking. Legally speaking, treason. Yeah, that guy is never going to be able to come back to America. No. no question about it. <laughs> well, well, like they showed a clip of uh, when Obama was, was, was uh, talking about Edward Snowden. It was the closest I'd ever seen him on TV calling somebody motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was making no mistake of like, uh, we uh, we are not for this. That, this is uh, bad. Uh, hacker. <laughs> so... Yeah, uh, as I recall, didn't, didn't, uh, didn't the White House kind of uh, lean on Oliver Stone when they found out he had been meeting with Snowden? I think they did to some extent, but, you know, Oliver Stone is, is very much a very political guy. Right, because he's I like, th- what are you going to do to me now? He goes a little too far off to the, the wacky zone for me sometimes, but I actually thought this was much more restrained than a lot of the stuff he'd done. It doesn't go too deep into the conspiracy level. It really keeps its focus kind of laser tight on... Because it doesn't need to. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't need to. The facts of the case are <laughs> conspiratorial <laughs> sounding there's, enough. There's no back into the left here. Uh, Shailene Woodley plays his girlfriend, Lindsay Mills. Uh, Melissa Leo's in this. Zachary Quinto, Tom Wilkinson, Scott Eastwood, Logan Marshall Green, Timothy Oilfent. Uh, a receive a really interesting small role by Nicolas Cage as one of his bosses <laughs> at the NSA. Like, like, a, like one of those, what, Nicolas Cage? Yeah, what my, are you my, doing here? My eyes lit up when I saw Cage because it's like, okay, he's not going to be allowed to go full Cage on this. So no. we might get something awesome out of here. Yeah, no, and he didn't. Yeah, although he did have crazy hair. He did. <laughs> I, I actually admit I'm kind of a fan of this movie. It's <laughs> one of the movies I, I really enjoyed this year. I think even as just a movie, like like take the the the, the pseudo documentary uh, aspect out of it, and it still holds up. It would be a bit unbelievable if it were just a movie, right? You'd be like, "Now, come on, but, no, but, no, but you can't all store true. all the information." Oh, you can. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, we can we can fit a lot into a little. Uh, yeah, the whole. It, it, you, there's no two ways about it. The whole spying on the American public thing is legal now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, like I have a friend of mine who's a 
who's into, you know, top security stuff. And she got all upset at me. I got an Amazon Alexa. I was like, haven't you told me that they can turn on and off my phone anytime they want to, to record what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah. I was like, don't you was this? <laughs> carry a cell phone with you that they could do that too? Well, yeah. So what are you yelling at me for? for the <laughs> I'm already screwed is what you're telling me. That's why I buy direct from China. They can turn and get my, get my voice to my laptop. They can get my voice through my, uh, if you have a smart television, they can do it that mm-hmm. way. Um, even I remember there being a report at one point, if you have anything that has a, uh, a remote that is in a, a, a electric room, you know, not a Bluetooth, but a mm-hmm. regular style that they can turn that on and get a certain type of like heat image from, yeah. the room from looking through that. A little smarty pants. So that's, that's why crazy. my batteries keep dying. Could be. Ugh. Anyway, this set comes with audio commentary by Oliver Stone. Uh, deleted scenes, about eight, eight minutes and 51 seconds of them. Yeah. I uh, mean, it was a good choice to like go ahead and get rid of the car chasing. <laughs> it was like, wait, what car chase? <laughs> Uh, there's a couple feature, there's a featurette finding the truth, uh, with just an EPK about the making of it. Then there's a Q and a, uh, about it. That's a 41 minute Q and a with Oliver Stone, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Shailene Woodley, and the real Edward Snowden via battle video satellite from Moscow. Via robot it, face. Which is, yeah, which is kind of the kind of extra you would want with something like this. Absolutely. <laughs> Original content. Although Edward Snowden should have just fucked with him and be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and they'd be like, no, I never told you that. What? Oh, Who'd you get that happens. from? Oh, I bet that's my brother Billy pretending to be me. <laughs> oh, man, Billy. Okay, go make his life shit. I'll come back now. <laughs> Seriously. All right, let's move on to another one. This is one I handed you kind of last minute. Uh-huh. I hope you're glad that I did because I love it. Yeah, it's my pick of the week. Uh, the Handmaiden. Uh, this is the latest film by Park Chan-wook, who is definitely, I, I think, one of the greatest working filmmakers right now who did you know, Old Boy and Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and Sympathy for Lady Vengeance and Stoker uh, and uh, Thirst. Uh, Thirst. And and uh, he worked on Snowpiercer, did not direct it. Uh, and then I'm a Cyborg, but that's okay, which is the one I haven't actually seen. <laughs> I've not either. <laughs> but The Handmaiden, I think, is kind of his masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Based on the novel Fingersmith by uh, Welsh writer Sarah Walters, which I believe takes place in England. Mm-hmm, probably. <laughs> but, would, one would think. So this is a massive reinterpretation of this, taking uh, of the original story, taking place in Japanese-occupied uh, Korea and involving a, a con man who hires a young pickpocket to become a maid to a very mysterious Japanese heiress who... The idea is he wants to marry her and then get her committed to an asylum so he can steal her inheritance. And the idea is the maid is there to, like, acting at the, at the maid to help her basically start to go crazy. But the problem is she starts to kind of fall for her. Never fall for your mark. Lots of lesbian sex ensues and beautiful cinematography and weird Japanese erotica. <laughs> and this is an odd film that never veers off into being unclear as to what's going on uh totally i felt that it was a lot more playful than a lot of his other stuff uh and i really enjoyed it and even though there's some some pretty harsh material that it deals with uh it wasn't as gut-wrenchingly dark or uh seemingly hopeless as something like old boy no 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 not at all this is definitely um it's both a like a sumptuous period piece, a con film in many classic con film mm-hmm. sense, yeah. and uh, a 
what's the word? Dark lesbian romance. A love story. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a love story. It is a love story. It's and and actually a pretty charming one, even though yeah. it's like when it gets to the point where, you know, the the con really comes into full swing into the film, you realize you are the mark. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> As in any good con film, yeah. I mean, I, I, I it's, it's, it's kind of tough to have a favorite uh, park movie, but I don't know. It's, it's definitely up there. It's now, it's completed the triumvirate of Old Boy and Sympathy for Lady Vengeance for me. Yeah, no, I mean, like, and, and Mr. Vengeance as well. Yeah, um, I, I think it's, it, I, I think it's the best thing work he's done. But I don't know if I, you'd necessarily call it your favorite work. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's terrific. It's still hard to get past the enjoyment of the original Vengeance trilogy. I was but. kind of surprised that the music wasn't as uh, uh, brain-shatteringly awesome as some of his other stuff. You don't think? No, it was good, but it, it was just kind of like, uh, maybe it's because it was, period. Yeah, but. I would assume so. It's yeah. going to be a different, has to be a different style, by yeah. definition. Um, although, every once in a while, you always see those. They're always American films. So it's like it's a period piece. Then, for some reason, there'll be techno music playing. Well, A Knight's Tale kind of kind of It's like a World War One film, and there's playing Sympathy for the Devil or something. <laughs> like, what is happening right now? Uh, yeah, this is, I think, kind of a masterpiece. Anyone who's going, oh, the Oscars snubbed it. Not technically. South Korea didn't actually present it for consideration for Ips Best Foreign Language Film. Now, the Academy could have still nominated it for Best Film, mm. but this is also one of those type things that starts dealing with some stuff that is going to ick a lot of people yeah. out. <laughs> They're going to feel kind of itchy. Uh, and I don't mean, like, lesbian sex, per se, although it is very graphic with that stuff. There's, but in, in, a, in a funny kind of way. There's torture by octopus rape. Yeah, <laughs> I mean... It, that it happens. Come on, like we've all read manga. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, I go down to the little octopus rate place right down the block. There's yeah, like a bunch do, of they're like Starbucks in this good, neighborhood. They do good work. <laughs> they do. <laughs> the only reason this is not my pick of the week is because a, unbelievably, this is not available on Blu-ray. Yeah, what the heck, man? Yeah, they only put it on DVD. There's no bonus features of any uh-uh. kind. This is as bare bones as you get. And you're just like, what the fuck? All I can think is, is that this company, CJ Entertainment, probably paid a lot of money for a, or it, not even a lot, paid some money for a temporary license to it, while Criterion or somebody oh, maybe. to put together a really nice one, paying more for a later one will come out next year. Or yeah, so maybe we'll be talking about it again. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I think if the people at Criterion aren't already scratching their heads trying to figure out, hey, wait, uh, we'd really like to do something with this. Yeah, what kind of inserts can we put in it? Yeah. Um, Handmaiden is, is really phenomenal and a must-see. All right, let's move on to the People versus Fritz Bauer. Oh, this is your pick of the week. No, it is. Oh, not. okay. This is a grabber of a title, though, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, this is about th- this guy whose whole job it was post World War II in Germany, who was a Jewish man who was in, in he- uh, the head of one of the departments to seek out war criminals, to yeah, seek out the Nazis who worked at the concentration camps. And everybody in Germany who works in that, like, like they're saying, like, fully half the people in these departments are ex-Nazis themselves. Yeah. Well, know? it's it's hard to get a, a workforce yeah. <laughs> around that, that time that wasn't. No. Um, and it's interesting because he just couldn't be more frustrated in this scenario. He just can't get anything done. And he gets himself the chance to grab the, you know, the brass ring when 
somebody starts talking about, we think we know where Adolf Eichmann is. Ooh. Which, of course, is in and of itself, like, you know, I mean, there have been movies made about the hunt for Eichmann before, yeah. to be sure. But this is just from the viewpoint of this one poor, frustrated guy who finds himself in a position where he realizes no one's going to help him in Germany. And the only way this is going to happen is if he goes to Mossad, the Isra- Israeli the Mossad, yeah. Secret Service, and convince them to help him. But if he does that, it's an act of treason against Germany. Yeah. Well, what was interesting uh, was was kind of like seeing, uh, just like obviously, Mossad is, is a thing that's that's known now. But back then, it was it was very under wraps and very tiny. Yeah. But dedicated, but still quite effectual. But even then, in the movie, they're kind of like, "Look, we." I mean, I think it was kind of like that. We don't have the money to move on. Maybe yeah. you need to get. <laughs> you need to figure out a way to get some. Definitely, that this is the place where Eichmann is before we help you at all. Yeah, uh, it's it, kind of frustrating watching it if you didn't already know that. Yes, we ended up getting Eichmann. You'd <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> be like, Jesus Christ, people! It's just this poor guy caught in endless red tape in a world where you would think that everybody like Germany would be like. We've got to put a rest to this. We got to stop, prove that we're not the bad guys anymore. Mm. But the truth is, a lot of the bad guys were still working for the government offices at that point. <laughs> yeah, I am the bad guys. No, watching it, uh, it, it made me think, like, ooh, I should take a trip to Argentina. It's so pretty. <laughs> and just in case, you know, they figure out all that stuff in your past, right? Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, vacation, finger quotes. I don't know if Argentina still doesn't uh, um, extradite. Yeah, extradite or not. Uh, I don't know. They don't have to know who I am. Well, I mean, I'm just charming foreigner. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, oh, that charming foreigner. He keeps asking me what a movie is, though. (laughs) Well, that means he's not going to spill any beans. Uh, This comes with a 13 minute making of People versus Fritz Bauer, which is interviews and behind the scenes footage. And this is in German, for the record, so it is subtitled. So, sorry, you do have to read. (laughs) Not one of those films you can play solitaire on your phone or whatever it is you kids play on your phone. Uh, uh, Battlebots. Is that a game, phone game? Why not? I don't know. I just downloaded a thing that's like teach yourself Spanish and I'm kind of obsessed with it now. So how did that work for you? I don't know the Spanish words. In uh, Espanol, por favor. I'm, I'm only on chapter two. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hopefully like a, a month or two from now, we're just going to do the whole show in Spanish. Oh, well, okay. Simulcast in Espanol. All right. Let's move on to one of the actual big releases, anticipated releases this week, which is a uh, re-release of... The 1976 sci-fi, I put classic in quotation marks because it depends on who you ask, (laughs) Nicholas Rogue film called The Man Who Fell to Earth. Now, the timing is obvious because David Bowie just died. This was his first big film that he was in, and it led to him having a pretty big career in film after this, appearing in quite a few movies. Not sure how based off of this, but we'll keep going. Well, I like Bowie in this. I mean, his unearthliness just as Bowie is enough that you're like, you didn't even need the alien contact lenses to convince us you weren't from here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is a very ambient sci-fi film that's more about the metaphor than the story yeah yeah which is going to irritate the shit out of some people who go into this expecting star wars or some shit oh no well i mean they shouldn't (laughs) uh yeah he's david Bowie plays a humanoid alien he's come to earth from a way distant planet because he needs to take water back to his home planet that went through a nuclear war 
and they're there's only small safe areas, but there's almost no water. So his goal is to come here and get water. And so he decides to use advanced technology of his home planet to patent a bunch of new inventions on Earth so he can get the money to build a giant spaceship so he can take water back with them. And then someone introduces him to uh, the better water, alcohol, and he yep, digs it. the fire water. <laughs> yeah. And ends up kind of getting lost in... Having in, sex in and his drinking a lot. and uh, Yeah. And then eventually gets found by the government to not be human and gets trapped and studied. And, you know, I mean, it's a tragedy in a sort of totally non-emotional sort of way. Because <laughs> it's hard to get emotionally involved with this. It's very... It just so scattershot, this movie, the way it jumps around from sequence to yeah. sequence. And, and, you know, you don't really know anybody, including the alien. And even the other character, like the character of his lover, who you're trying to, who, it, it, Candy Clark, who they probably spend the most amount of time giving you something about her. You just don't really feel sorry for her. No, you're just like, hey, idiot, you can leave at any time. Yeah, she's just screaming and whining and crying, like, constantly in this thing. You're like, go away. Oh, the time progression is just kind of baffling. Yeah. Well, it just jumps forward. <laughs> yeah. Like, 20 so, years all of a sudden. You're like, what? What like, happened? Like, if you're not paying attention to Buck Henry's hairline, you, you're probably not going to notice the time has passed. Yeah, or Rip Torn's liver spots. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, so is this what got him into MIB? Uh, could be. This could have been the beginning. Because it was it. his first intergalactic kegger. I mean, this is one of these that I'd never actually seen and always wanted to, because mainly because being more of a Bowie fan than a Nicholas Rogue fan, mm. I've always been kind of hit or miss with as uh-huh. a director. And ultimately, I think this is kind of disappointing, but kind of. <laughs> but it's got it's beautiful cinematography, and I'll watch Bowie in anything. It was you know? it was kind of like uh, like an MST3K movie, like Ega meets like <laughs> a, a, a Italian noir meets uh, a, a, just a one off Bowie lyric. Well, it totally like, has a very foreign film sort of feel to mm-hmm. it. Strangely enough, you yeah, know, that sort of like Italian neo realism, yeah. almost. You know. Um, it's definitely not a plot-oriented film. No. I'd be curious to read the original book it's based on, which apparently very different in okay. the way that it, that it plays out. But, man, the extras on this thing... I mean, like I said, this was anticipated because there hasn't been a, a... like. I mean, there was a Criterion version of this some years back, but this is the first re-review for a while. And there's some question of whether or not this is actually better than it. Okay. Because apparently there are different transfers, both the audio and the video, but... Like, everything I'm reading is like, eh, it's six of one half dozen of the other, whichever one you prefer. The one critic I was reading in particular from Blu-ray.com was saying, in my opinion, I think the Criterion's still better. Not a huge surprise there. Mm-hmm. Although he said the audio is just interchangeable. But even so, with the extra features, they're really kind of like, well, really? I mean, there's a bunch of small interviews with everyone. I only watched the Nicholas Rogue one where he just seems like he's drunk or something. He's, like, just rambling. Oh, maybe he fell to earth. Yeah, and hit hard. (laughs) He's just, you can kind of barely understand what he's saying. He's just kind of slurring his words, and you're like, okay, and nothing in it is very informative. Uh, And then there are the big, one of the big things, oh, there's a David Bowie interview on French TV that's, like, eight minutes long. Half of that is just people translating back and forth. (laughs) (laughs) And there's just nothing pertinent in it. It's a totally shallow little interview that's only kind of about the movie. Uh, There's actually, the only good thing is the the lost soundtracks of The Man Who Fell to Earth featurette, which is about 16 and a half minutes long, which looks at the music that made it into the film and a lot of the stuff that was supposed to that didn't. This was well regarded for a pretty decent soundtrack that it had that was actually... um, 
from Mamas and Papas, the guy who was Papa. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm blanking on his name. Papa DeVille. Uh, John Phillips. He worked with Japanese percussionist Stomu Yamashita uh, to do the soundtrack, which is definitely unique. So he wasn't the Wilson. He was the Phillips. Indeed. Um, and then there's some, uh, you know, a illustrated booklet, reproduction of the press book, art cards, and mini posters, shit like that. But, you know. If I was kind of meh. Over yeah, the unless thing. you're like you know, a Bowie completionist, you can just you can just keep on driving. Uh, speaking of though, that period of time, this new documentary called Danny Says features a a mover and shaker from the time we really haven't seen a lot of focus on, which is surprising with all the music documentaries we've been getting lately. Mm-hmm. Danny Fields. Uh, now he's kind of a fascinating guy, very, very, very out and gay in a time that not very many people yeah, were. Yeah, not a friendly atmosphere. <laughs> yeah, for that at all. But he was smart enough to know exactly where to be with people who were who just didn't give a shit, and turned out had a great ear for music. Yeah. And, Found acts like Iggy and the Stooges and the Doors and uh, the Ramones and the MC Five. Yeah, the like, MC Five. He was like the guy who got all the found these people and got them signed and then developed them and was an odd little man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's an interesting guy, but after a while, it's like his he's got that weird a weird kind of patois in the way that he talks, and it starts to get on your nerves after a while. He's just so cynical and so just like. Like snarky the whole way through. You're just like, okay. Well, that, which is why in a later title uh, that we're going to go over, when he pops up again, it's like, whoa, oh, hey, I just watched a lot about you and now you're back. Finish. I just saw this movie. <laughs> um, I mean, there's some interesting stuff in this, to be sure. I mean, if you're a big fan of any of these bands in this period of music, with that, that transference point from classic, when classic rock was sort of like, turning into arena rock and mm-hmm. punk rock and proto-punk were just getting started and coming up as a reaction to it. And this guy who was like, right, who was figuring this out from his viewpoint. I mean, that's interesting, but overall I just, I felt like, I don't know as a, as a film, I didn't think it was all that well put together. No, it was, it, no, 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 a little tedious. Uh, very just cause, uh, it, it tried to, it felt like it was trying to stretch time. It did a lot, <laughs> and a lot of that was periods of him just ta- rambling, talking. We were yeah. like, "Okay, well, why? What was the point of that?" <laughs> I know it's just not a very well-made movie, and that's a problem with a documentary, especially a music documentary. Um, the other thing we saw you were referring to was "Gimme Danger," which I thought was a much better-made film, uh, directed by the great Jim Jarmusch. Mm-hmm. I believe this is his first documentary he's ever made. I'm not 100 percent on that, but. Focusing uh, in with laser precision on, yeah, on, on the band The Stooges, as in Iggy and the Stooges. And, like, the, this is, like, you know, obviously covering some of the same material that's in the Danny Fields documentary, but doing it in a less amateurish-seeming way. Yeah, because, uh, you, you, you know, you said it was for The Stooges, and that's very true because it does go over uh, Jim Osterberg, a.k.a. Iggy Pop, but it also it goes a fair amount into the the lesser known of the Stooges, sure. and, and it skips like uh, Iggy's like solo stuff. Like it completely. Well, it's like I said, laser yeah. light mm-hmm. on just which, which the I appreciated <laughs> because that could have been an extra thirty minutes that they could have filled easily just by uh, doing that. But they didn't. But at the same time, I was kind of like I felt like there was they almost were spending too much time 
at on the Stooges, where I'm just like, guys, y'all are really stretching out more than there is to stretch out for mm-hmm. a band that put out like three albums before they broke up. If you're not counting the two mediocre ones they put out like 25 years later, yeah, we don't we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> um, and barely interviews anybody. There's like only like five people in this fucking thing they talk to. One of them is Mike Watt, who is only there because he was the bassist on the two mediocre albums that came out later yeah no it's weird like i would have expected for how influential they are because it does illustrate that they were extremely influential on what was to come and Mm -hmm. then even now that you would have uh gotten more uh interviews or people lining up to talk about how the stooges uh influenced them you know you didn't really see it you just kind of saw like postcards yeah i would have preferred to have seen more of that sort of thing like talking to more people who were like yes this is directly how they why i started into music yeah or like i said for me i would have preferred to see something that was more laser focused on iggy and his whole career because after the stooges is when his career gets really interesting oh completely like when he did a stint on pete and pete that was some (laughs) of his best work But you know what I mean when he was like getting Lou Reed to produce his album. Oh no, stuff, but I'm know? serious. His his stint on Pete and Pete was fucking amazing. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Uh, it was a Nickelodeon's uh, kind of like young adult uh, mm. show in the early '90s that was extremely surreal for its time. You know what somebody should do? A documentary just about like musicians who definitely aren't actors and but were in a movie like once or twice <laughs> you know what i mean like alice cooper oh yeah because he was in like what was it crow four something like that yeah yeah, yeah he's not a great actor <laughs> he doesn't have to be <laughs> but he's such a neat person when they do spend a lot of time interviewing him on here he's just fun to watch yeah he's just got so much energy and so many funny stories and he's just that guy is like the Keith Richards mystery. How are you still alive? And not just alive, but in like great physical shape. Well, because basically on stage he's doing yoga every night. Oh, that's true. He's still, he's like, even now he jumps around just like he did when he was like, like starting out in this thing as 18 and he's almost 70. Yeah. That guy is ripped. No, he's, he's pretty fantastic. Yeah, he really is pretty fantastic. But I mean... I feel like this is almost more for people in some ways who don't even know that much about the Stooges yep. in this period of time yeah. than it is for people who are hardcore adherents, because there was no real big surprises here. Well, like, uh, I Want to Be Your Dog, if you play that a lot on Rock Band, then but you didn't know who they were, you yeah. should watch this. I could never hear that song again, and I'd be totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, of all the Stooges songs, I'm like, please. No more. I want to be your dog. <laughs> just there's a moment they show when Sonic Youth played it on Saturday Night Live, or not on Saturday Night Live on uh, David Sanborn's show, and I, I'm just like, guys, not the Stooges song to pick. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. All right, another documentary that makes both of those look like masterpieces in comparison. Yeah. Uh, more because this is more of a master masturbation is <laughs> X-rated, the greatest adult movies of all time. Now I. It did, in fact, innocently enough, mm-hmm. ask for this movie. Okay. Because I'm, it's from Showtime and Kino Lober. Kino tends to do a lot more arty type stuff. Showtime yeah. likes to have stuff with boobs in it, but they also have some good stuff as no, well. No, this, this was like QVC. Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, it might this might be interesting to see a history of what they consider to be like the best adult films and why and how the industry evolved. But and no, this not. is like... Like a E Entertainment television, like number eighteen, yeah. Devil and Miss Jones. No, it really was, and I don't know, like so, like high porn is there's there's a, I got weird emotions about it or feelings about it in that it's never good, mm-hmm. it's never ever good. Yeah, am I gonna say like I don't watch porn? 
that's a lie if I said I don't. Yeah, in ten <laughs> minute segments. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you, you focus like, hey, we don't we don't need the overarching story. I don't really care that you know she's got big city dreams. None of that shit because <laughs> it's all always acted horribly. It's directed horribly. It's shot horribly. Yeah, generally speaking. I mean, I can think of one one thing that's on the list that I would give an exception to just because it's so fucking weird. Cafe Flesh. Have you ever seen that one? Uh, well, no. I mean, just it's, it's like, like literally a musical, and it's surreal, mm-hmm. like Salvador Dali like sequences. And you're like, okay, hats off to the director and and the the set guy because you actually are trying to do something kind of innovative, and that's kind of neat. But let's face it, most of it is just watching people fucking in these right. sets and stuff. Like that's fine. And like I said, necessary service. It's utilitarian. <laughs> yeah, you know, hats off to you. <laughs> um, this is really only interesting in the first third of it when it's covering the beginnings of porn. Yeah. You know, like the opening of Misty Beethoven and Deep Throat and Taboo and stuff like that. And like how audiences were re- re- reacting and how it was changing culture, uh, which is actually shockingly a big thing. Like lots mm-hmm. of famous people were lining up to go see Deep Throat. Jackie the O. Jackie Anassis went to go see Deep Throat in the theater. Uh, back in the days when anyone would go see porn in a theater, that yeah, was the I feel only like, option. I feel if you want a more okay, let's cancel it. A more nuanced uh, critique of porn, <laughs> uh, David Tell, that show that he had, he where, did one on porn. Well, no, he had like a, a, a running show where he would enter, or he would basically have different people from the porn industry watch a porn with him, and they would comment. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Well, it's just I think like when you get down towards like you know past the th- the third. You know, you get into the 80s and then the 90s and the modern day. You're like, honestly, this is just a crapshoot. Yeah. Like, you're really just picking, okay, I guess this one. Sure, and, why and not? It, and it didn't even go into, like, there's some wacky concepts or at least uh, titles important, like, Bust a Nut in Grandma's Butt Part 4. You know? like <laughs> A masterpiece. Exactly. Because 1 through 3, no, that's an actual one, by the way. Oh, is it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So Jeez. 1 through 3 somehow had already been explored. I think the problem is that it really is setting itself up as the, the greatest adult movies of all time as oppo- opposed to just a history of X-rated films. Yeah. Which could have gotten more into okay there was this whole industry that did shit like that and mm-hmm. there's the industry like no no we're trying to do bigger budget porn films yeah. with concept and as it then there's the kind of the death of of all of this kind of porn by the stuff that's just like sites like browsers mm-hmm. like no all we sell is scenes yeah <laughs> that's all people need yeah. well, you know to be fair like i said it's more utilitarian than not i'm sorry those of you out there but i love the art artistry of it well guess what no this is just keeping the peace people <laughs> yeah i could deal with that ever having seen that to be yeah. fair um there's not even enough nudity in it no there's not even some good fucking not in this day i mean it would have been great like 25 years ago you're like oh man <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. on, on cinemax kind yeah. of scrambled yeah yeah but but now it's like yeah we, i have the internet <laughs> um all right so moving on you didn't get to see this one it literally just came today is nerdland I had been kind of dreading this one after seeing the trailer, but I was like, you know what? Patton Oswalt is deeply involved in this thing. It's like Patton Oswalt and uh, uh, Paul Rudd is the two main characters, two actors I love a whole bunch. Um, and written by Andrew Kevin Walker, who wrote Seven, for okay. God's sakes. Jeez. <laughs> You're just like, wow, okay, let's give this a shot, even though it looks really bad. And it was really bad. Okay. Uh, Paul Rudd plays John. Patton Oswalt plays Elliot. They're two best friends who've dreamed of somehow getting famous. They're about to both turn 30. Uh, did I mention this is all animated? It's all animated. Um, 
they decide that they're going to figure out a way to get famous no matter what it takes. And so Nerdland has them in, they're in LA and they're just trying all these different things and failing to get mm. famous in such an incredibly shallow fashion, you know. I mean, it would have been much more interesting if they followed up on the initial guy's, Oswald's dream of writing a script and making a movie and just that was like, whew. but no, it's like, it doesn't matter how we do it. We got to get famous. And their main reason is so they can sleep with two like bimbos who work at the local. What? That's an improbable for a storyline. <laughs> What's the thing is these two guys are so thoroughly unlikable. You're just like, and not even in an interesting way. You're just like, okay, <laughs> this whole thing felt to me like a weird sort of angry lash out at the darker side of nerd culture more than anything, you know? Okay. Like, like uh, Hannibal Burress plays the nerd king is this big fat pus. <laughs> <laughs> dripping like comic book store owner who's one of the main characters in here they have to deal with to to get stuff that they need but there's barely any story i mean the, the only point to even makes you perk up at all in here is at one point they decide out of desperation fine we've exhausted every other strategy we're going to become serial killers okay <laughs> and start murdering people because then we'll you know then we'll everyone will know our faces and we'll be famous and that all kind of fizzles out as well. And just, I don't know. There's just not much here. And it's shocking with the talent involved. Mike Judge is in this. Paul Shear, Lorraine Newman, uh, Laura Silverman, Molly Shannon. I mean, this is a great group of people and conceived by a really talented guy. And I it just falls so utterly flat. Yeah. It has that feeling like it, they wanted it to be kind of a almost tribute-ish to Ralph Bashke or something like okay. that, that everybody's sort of like the grossly elongated and their sexual organs are always grossly exaggerated mm -hmm. and everybody is really dirty mouthed and there's lots of nudity in it. And the whole thing had that sort of like, you know, everything seems like it's filthy and covered with garbage. I mean, very bashki <laughs> which I'm not a fan of either, to be fair. So maybe if you were, then this would be a thing that would appeal to you. But yeah, I thought this was very skippable. All right. All right. Uh, you did not get to watch Sleepy Hollow season three. That's okay. <laughs> well, you know, I think Sleepy Hollow is actually kind of underrated. I mean, not from some, from people who like Monster of the Week shows, mm. which that's a big thing for me. Like, I, I finally gave up on Grimm. I was like, look, this thing, I got through four seasons far. I was finally like, that is enough. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, I went, when Sleepy Hollow first came out, I watched all the way through, halfway through the second season. <laughs> Uh, and then, as I like to call it, I grimaced yeah. because it was just like, oh, this is too much horseshit. I, I can't I stop. <laughs> this is tiring. It's one of those like, yeah, it is all horseshit, but it's like at least it sticks with to its guns. Oh, no, I get it. But on. it's just like piling just like sprinkles of, of different details that, that yeah. you've got to follow. I mean, I preferred it to grim. If for no other reason, A, their leads are about a thousand times more charismatic than oh, yeah. the leads in Grimm, who are just dull. And uh, and Lieutenant. Yeah, and Lieutenant is, the, <laughs> is an awesome thing, way to say Lieutenant. <laughs> um, the uh, As well, Grimm is so Monster of the Week that even by the fourth season, it's still pretty much just Monster of the Week with every once in a while a little of the bigger story coming Yeah, back. something about the king, I don't know. Where Sleepy Hollow is more the other way. It manages to efficiently mix in every week the Monster of the Week thing deeply embedded inside the running story, which I much prefer. Plus you got to see Harold. Harold? Yeah, uh, John Cho? Oh, yes. Yes, yeah. you did. 
Um, this season three, the main villain is Pandora. What? You know, like as in Pandora's box. Uh, played by... You ain't is... gonna find hope at the bottom of her box. <laughs> I see what you did there, <laughs> and I don't think I approve. Um, I'm blanking on her name. What the hell is the name of the, the woman who plays her? I really like her, too. Sorry, I apologize. I had this written down. Sorry, Pandora lady. Yeah, sorry, Pandora. You, you fucked up, Pandora. No, uh, Shannon Sossaman, who I actually really like. Um, seen her in quite a few things I enjoyed her in, including The Rules of Attraction, an underrated little film. But uh, she's, like, trying to free her demon lover, basically, is the overarching thing they <laughs> refer to as the hidden one. And, I mean, there's some fun stuff in here. Like, there's a thing for the first time they get trapped back in Revolutionary War times, nah. which is kind of fun. So instead of, like, people from there keep appearing here, now they are appearing there. And okay. deal with stuff there. And then there's a lot of stuff like, oh, yeah, and, like, dude, main character used to fuck Betsy Ross before George Washington and her hooked up. Yeah, so They did. were totally an item, and she was a witch, and so Got she's in thing. this a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this, of course, was famous as well. They did a two-part crossover with the show Bones. <laughs> Which you know when a show is struggling a bit when you do a crossover like that. Yeah, CW gets a pass. CW gets a pass because they're from the get-go. From the beginning, right. they're all in the same universe, right? Yeah. Like if your show is designed to connect with other shows, then that's one thing. Well, plus, like, if you cross it with Bones and Boreanis, it also becomes Angel. Like, it's too confusing. Yeah, it's You know, the reason why, like, 90% of the shows ever made are, like, just the dreams of a little autistic kid and from the show. Oh, Elsewhere. Elsewhere. It's yeah. because of Richard Belzer. Because that dude appeared in everybody else's show as his character from Law and Order yep. or his character from Homicide. So you would just like, <laughs> you're like, oh my God, they're all, because like, yeah, once was, you put him in there, it's It was like, the one pockmark to, to unite them all. I don't know, Sleeping Hollow Season 3 is okay. It's more of the same. Uh, I don't think it's it's gotten any worse, really, or anything. It's If you like the first season, the second season, I think the third season is more of the same. It's They got a fourth season lined up. It's all right. It just kind of has fallen off my I give as much of a shit about mm-hmm. it shows. It's goofy. It's it, If you like history stuff, it's funny to see how much they get really amazingly wrong. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, much better show is Broad City. Yes. Oh, so you're a fan now. Oh, huh? I'm now. I didn't know if you had watched it before. No, I love Broad City. Okay, yeah. I think this is actually one of the best comedies on television right mm-hmm. now uh, with Ileana Glazer and Ab- Abby Jacobson, both of whom are moving on quickly to bigger and better stuff. Uh, well, yeah, they should be rewarded for their good work. Yeah, this, yeah it's uh, based on their real-life friendship and their attempts to get successful in New York, although one would hope they're nowhere near as stupid as these characters <laughs> are. <laughs> they can't be because they're actually writing these things. So, um yeah, this is like, uh, they're, they're really not bright people, but they genuinely only care about each other because they certainly don't give a shit about anybody else. Yeah, well, one of the things that I like is that uh, without trying to beat anybody over the head with the message, like the message is definitely there for for enduring friendship because they both come up with the dumbest fucking ideas on the <laughs> earth. And there's no, there's no like, hey, you should think. It's just like, yeah, do it. Go for it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and like, acceptance. Like the second episode of the season will... Where one of them realizes uh, she has, doesn't have time to complete her volunteer hours at the food co-op she's a member of. So she convinces the other one to pose as her to complete the hours, which, of course, is not going to... I mean, it's, uh, there's going to be hijinks. I mean, they just, yeah, they just have incredibly dumb ideas. And this season, uh, one of them hooks up with this character, Trey, who seems to me to clearly be gay, mm-hmm. but, like... 
not yet in the show anyway. <laughs> and it's just from the get-go a big mistake. He's been a running character from the beginning. Mm. And so they're having this awkward, well, I guess we're hooking up with each other now, sort of running through thing. She just this. wants the sex, people. But I will say the highlight of the season is the two-parter ending where they win a, uh, they get a, a trip to Israel. <laughs> and it's just a terrible idea from the get-go. Yeah, season three, definitely, uh, I think because of the, the work that they did in one and two, they were able to get a lot more guests, mm-hmm. to a better star draw. Uh, and I think it worked out fantastically. It, like, it... It wasn't natural in most of the situations. Yeah. Like, it was very obvious, like, oh, this person wants to be a part of this. Well, Seth Green and that last two-parter have playing a very serious Jewish guy in there, <laughs> like, like who's really funny. Uh, Mar Wilson, Bob Balaban, he'll be Cynthia in anything Nixon. as long as he doesn't have to leave New York. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Danza. Yeah. Alan Alda. Yeah. Rachel Dratch. Whoopi Goldberg, Vanessa Williams, I mean, Melissa Leo. This is pretty, a ton, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you're not watching the show yet, and honestly, it's a show you can drop in on at any point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not set up so that, oh, God, I don't understand what's happening. You can watch any episode <laughs> at any point. You're going to be fine. Yeah, Ridiculous <laughs> doesn't need a setup. The one thing I'll say is, like, if you're uncomfortable with woman medical or health issues... Or, you know, periods or anything like that. There's stuff that might gross you out to the point you can't yeah. take it. Or NBA players, if they make you feel weird, just, just pass. <laughs> or if you're really, really, really against pot smoking. Because <laughs> yeah. they smoke a lot of pot in this thing. And I'm sure behind the scenes as well. Eh, a little creative juices. I think so. All right, let's move back to movies and talk about a film that was really one of my favorite films this week. Uh, the Monster. This is a weird little horror film, mm-hmm. partially because right off the bat, I was like, wait a minute, Zoe Kazan is going to star in a horror film? Is really more of one of those. She's an actress. She's married to Paul Dano. She's mainly done very arty indie stuff. Like, I knew her originally from Ruby Sparks, which I okay. just loved her and thought she was wonderful playing the title role. Uh, here she plays a mom who is on a road trip with her 10-year-old daughter. And the film is populated by flashbacks to their relationship, which is not good. Um, They're kind of in this weird sort of, like, holding zone as she is coming out of alcoholism, but not very well. We we should rephrase that. She's a piece of shit. Yeah. (laughs) Going cross-country with her daughter. She's a hardcore alcoholic. But, you know, by the time the trip is happening, she's at least trying. Mm -hmm. You know, she doesn't want to be an alcoholic, but she's having a really, really hard time. Um, but along the way in the road, they hit a animal, a wolf, and it, you know, makes their car inoperable. So they call for a tow truck and an ambulance and they discover as they leave the car and look at the wolf that, Hey, uh, something else attacked this thing. Guess what? There's a big ass fucking monster outside. What kind? It's a monster. <laughs> it's a monster monster. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a xenomorph. Basically. Yeah, it's, it's like of, a fat xenomorph. Yeah, it's got drapey stuff on it, but yeah. it doesn't, depending on the lighting. And like, as near as I can tell, it must be made of oil because yeah. boy, does that thing go up. <laughs> uh, this is more of a mother-daughter bonding story after a difficult situation than it is a horror movie. Yes. Even. But I think it functions pretty well mm-hmm. as a horror movie because of the really convincing performances of those two leads. And there's some shitty decisions that are made. Well, it's a horror movie, so. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> That's a given. They do make some... But it's like one of those... They make shitty decisions, but not ones you can't totally understand making. Mm-hmm. You know? You're just like, okay, what do you do? You're kind of trapped in your car. You know there's something out there that's killing people. Like anyone who comes to help and suddenly they get dragged off. 
Mm-hmm. Like, but you also have no means of communicating, and your means of communicating is ten feet away in another dude's car. What do you do? Tough stuff. Tough <laughs> what stuff. What do you do? I really like this. I like the cinematography of it quite a bit, the way it was filmed. Uh, like I said, the performances are the strongest thing. And I really like the monster design, which was 100% practical. I didn't. No? No, it looks silly. Oh, I liked him. It was ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, I liked it because it was cute and stupid looking, not because it was terrifying. <laughs> it's, oh, look how dumb he is. I just want to pet him and love him and hug him and go him. <laughs> but, but once again, I don't want to touch him because I don't have wet wipes. Yeah, he is kind of icky. <laughs> but, you know, like his head kind of looks like, like he said, he looks like an overweight alien from Aliens. With, with an overbite. Yeah, with an overbite. <laughs> um I don't know. I, I personally really enjoyed this and like the monsters. No, well. it was a neat movie. Yeah? It was a neat movie. Yeah. I mean, like a lot of horror you want to dismiss. It's like, well, whatever. It's a horror movie. It's better than some. And I'm like, this is genuinely on its own a pretty good movie. Yeah. Uh, and almost no extra features, though. There's a little extra that's like behind the scenes that, that I liked. If, if nothing else, they showed how they actually did the monster where mm-hmm. it's like, yes, this was 100% a, a dude in a suit. You know? Well, I mean, the, the practical is definitely why it looked so good. Yeah. All right, let's move on to come and find me. I'd rather not. That's it. That's it. You have to say it like that. Go ahead. Uh, come and find me? No, no. Oh, oh no. wait, hold on, hold on. Come and find me. No, no. What? <clears throat> oh, bitch. No. <laughs> Just come and find me. Okay, I, I can't. I don't, That's I don't, all right. That's I, don't, okay. I don't know what you're doing. Uh, I was more interested in this, not for the fact that Aaron Paul's the lead in here, but that Zach Whedon directed and wrote this, his first film mm-hmm. he ever wrote and directed. He's worked quite a bit in television. This is Joss Whedon's one of his, his little, little brothers. Brother. Uh, he worked on Dr. Horrible, stuff like that. I'm like, okay, this guy interests me. I would, And he certainly has worked with a lot of really interesting people throughout his career. I'd love to see what he does in a standalone movie. And you got Aaron Paul. That's a get. Right there. Uh, the idea being is that we see Aaron Paul hooks up with this girl, Claire, played by Annabelle Wallace. And they have a very, like, you know, a pretty genuinely adorable meet cute. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, and then it becomes a theme. And then it becomes like, that's what you just do with that all the time? <laughs> You're like, that's what gets you revved up for sex later? Yep. Um And then she just disappears one morning. Whoops. He just wakes up one morning she's not there. So it's kind of flashes to, like, Months and months later, and he's kind of like, he's just frustrated. Nobody seems to be taking this thing seriously. And he's determined to find out what happened to her. Well, there's some things you best left well enough alone. Yeah. And this would be one of them as he starts realizing there's a lot of people who, including the one guy he knew from her previous life, who she knew next to, he knew next next to nothing about, who is obviously some sort of spy or something? Well, so whenever he would ask her about her background, just innocuous questions like, oh, her parents are like, she was dodgy in the way that, that were this not a movie, you'd be like, bruh, get out of there. Like, she's hiding some shits. Yeah, she dodges like, 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 People, Sugar Ray Leonard. Yeah, she dodges like people in like like Chow Yun Fat and John Woo films. <laughs> she just dives over the staircase. <laughs> oh, I think I hear the doorbell. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's a lot of flashing back and forth between when they were together as he's trying to put together like what if there were any clues from when they were together as he starts realizing she was in the middle of something really big. Yeah. Um, and I, actually, thing is, I was on the whole, except for kind of slow pacing, was enjoying this until we got to the ending, which was kind of like, oh. Ridiculous. <laughs> the ending was like, and now you decide, audience, what do you think should happen next? 
Yeah, no, uh, I mean, Zach Whedon is a little brother because he has the heart of a champion, but it was just like, it didn't, it didn't do it for me. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a admirable first effort. I think. I don't think this is a terrible movie. No, but definitely like the ending and the the underlying premise was kind of like you talked to your brother about this, didn't you? <laughs> or you should have more. Maybe. Well, because no, it's like, hey, I like Dollhouse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now there was some like it almost could be a side story to that. Or yeah, it could have. Know? It could have. It's it it feels like it's a half baked idea that quite literally wasn't finished. The movie just cuts off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like in a way they think is artistic and you're just like no you just didn't know how to end this yeah come on guys well you don't have to be ai ai about it but let's let's have unending yeah it was it was pretty frustrating i thought uh but i will say i actually liked his on the whole directorial style and the cinematography in this i thought was actually quite noticeably pretty like what you don't think of for most direct to dvd films <laughs> uh i don't know there were some interesting things at work but it's definitely way unfinished as was our anti-pick of the week. No, no, no. This was dead on arrival. <laughs> USS Indianapolis, Men of Courage. I will give it this. It's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. No, I mean, it's but, not a steaming pile of garbage. Yeah, considering how bad I thought it was going to be, that's not high praise. No. Uh, forgot that Mario Van Peebles was a thing. Yes, Mario Van Peebles <laughs> came out of wherever the fuck he was to direct this. I don't know if you want to call it retirement. I don't think he ever retired. I think he's just doing a bunch of directed DVD. Yeah, I think he was like uh, planning Posse 3 or something. Yeah, something like that. Um, but he got Nicolas Cage. That's hard, right? You're difficult. And Tom Sizemore. Wow. <laughs> I haven't seen him. And Thomas Jane and James Remar. Look, no, those people will show up in anything. To be fair, guy. love me some Remar. Anytime I can get some Remar, I'm good. This... Story is in you know in real life is a fascinating true story from the uh, in 1945 the heavy cruiser USS Indianapolis here commanded by Nicholas Cage playing Captain Charles McVeigh was charged to doing a secret mission to deliver parts of the atom bomb that would end up leveling Hiroshima and so they did a run quiet run deep type mission where no one knew that they were out there but, like, three guys. Yeah. Which was great. They got it out there. But then on the way back, they were like, no, you still have to stay no, quiet. I'm sorry. No one can know you did this at all. And they got sunk by a Japanese submarine that just sunk the shit out of them. Yep. Got <laughs> torn up. Yeah. And now that sounds like I'm spoiling stuff for you. I'm not. We're not even halfway through this very long film <laughs> before that actually happens. Most of this film is a shark horror film. Yeah, it's, it's a shark, not NATO. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's just, I mean, it's just sharks in the water, but there's a fuck ton of them, and there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of, you call them jump scares, but people usually die when they happen in this movie, so mm -hmm. a lot of, like, sharks jumping up at the camera and somebody gets <laughs> eaten. Chomper rude. Yeah, because as these soldiers really did, they floated in the water for, like, weeks, you know? Yeah. It was it was a good time. It was a good not a good time. It was a good amount of time. Yeah, I mean the weakest thing here is it spends some amount of time trying to build up these characters early on, only for them to be the most shallow, one dimensional cardboard cutout characters ever. Yeah, and then you add sunstroke and drinking uh, seawater, and I mean, really, the only pleasure happening here is one. I mean, once the ship sinks, and the ship looks for 
most of it being CG, it doesn't look that terrible. Yeah, I mean, it was that pass- possibly okay effects here. Yeah. Watching the ship sink. I mean, it's no Titanic, but what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Although it does much the same thing it did with the whole, it's, you know, people falling off of it. Is and the fogging of the uh, windows. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, not that. Thank God there was no sex scene. Uh, unfortunately. Uh, and then, you know, once they're all floating in boats, Nicolas Cage starts to get a little more Nicolas Cagey, which is nice, <laughs> yeah. you know. But the the bulk of this is, is really just them sitting there, and every once in a while one of them gets picked off by a shark, and they talk a lot about, boy, I sure wish I had proposed to that girl back yeah. home. I wish you didn't uh, fuck my high school sweetheart, but whatever. <laughs> Weirdly, though, there's a good half hour of this fucking thing left. After they're rescued, or yeah. some of them are rescued. They yeah, like, behind the blow. Why is there still like 28 minutes for this film? Because <laughs> apparently the U.S. government needed somebody to blame, and they yeah, decided the to, that the, the captain of the ship would be the Patsy, which is, you know, kind of a historical. So the way I think this should have ended was they go through all the blobbity bloobity bloops, cry tears, oh, captain, my captain. And then and then it, it pulls in from a scene of open water to this dimly lit uh, little galley. And this guy goes, and so that's how uh, Indianapolis went. So I guess we should go, uh, I don't know, catch this fucking shark. <laughs> <laughs> if they had made it a Joss Hyen, it would have been perfect. I, I feel like even though it was mainly a shark movie, it still needed more shark movie. It, it kind of did. Because <laughs> there's very, very little U.S. Indianapolis in this film. Yes, very little. Despite the title. <laughs> Although you got to say, you know, I mean, you've got a certain amount of courage for sure. Well, given given the options, I'm pretty sure that's your only. It's just that the performances are so fucking bad in this thing, and the shark effects are on the whole pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know, you just don't really like. At best, you connect with it is just that knowing that this more or less really happened. Yeah, if it that's, wasn't that's... for that, you wouldn't give a fuck about this no. thing. Mm-mm. All right, let's move on to the last movie of the week. That's actually my pick of the week. Uh, uh-huh. I loved The Accountant. Yes, you did. I loved the shit out of it. This is one of these films that falls into that weird sort of like alternate universe superhero world for me mm-hmm. that films like Limitless are in and uh, uh, the, uh, First Unbreakable, not Split. <laughs> uh, so can this exist with the A-Team movie? No. That's not in my superhero universe. Wow. Uh, but this is like autism as a superpower, which is kind of cool. Dude, is he going to fight Jason Bourne? <laughs> Why? Is Jason Bourne autistic? No, I'm just saying, like, are they in the same universe? No, they're not. Damn the same it! Universe. Definitely not. This is directed Ugh. by Gavin O'Connor, who is one of the more interesting sort of action-y type directors working right now, even though he's done stuff that decidedly wasn't, like, Miracle. But uh, Warrior was one of his, like, one of my favorite, like, it's not a boxing film, but it's a boxing film. Mm. <laughs> you know, and it's one of my favorites of that type of film ever made. And then this year he put out Jane Got a Gun that went direct to DVD, and it was on my favorites list of the year. I thought it was terrific. Terrific little Western. The Accountant, and it's typical to his thing. He makes these genre films that are a beat different than what you'd expect and very plot heavy. Mm-hmm. I mean, The Accountant is no exception to that rule. It's very, very plot heavy with Keanu Reeves. Uh, I'm sorry, not Keanu Reeves. Ben Affleck <laughs> uh, playing Chris Wolf, who, as we see when he was a little kid, he was very severely autistic, but was a... <clears throat> one of those kids who could just add any numbers together, you know, a savant. And as an adult, he's a forensic accountant who tracks insider financial deceptions for a bunch of criminal enterprises that are brokered to him through a, a woman who calls him on the phone, basically yes. through another criminal organization who sets him up to work for really bad people. But <clears throat> on the whole, no one would guess. He just looks like a nerd 
uh, <laughs> it works as out of a little thing as an account. No one would guess this a guy. A nerd who drives an F-150. Very confusing. He's basically the best accountant in the universe. And yeah. so the most evil guys in the world are like, we'll pay this guy a ton of money to come make our books look like they're legal. Well, because he's – I thought it was more uh, for finding leaks. Like when, when their illegal uh, money transactions are still hemorrhaging money, mm-hmm. it's not like they can report it. Well, in this particular case that the movie's about, it is where he gets called in to work for uh, John Lithgow has a company that seems all on the up and up. But when he starts realizing uh, with the help of Anna Kendrick, who works for the company, who's kind of mildly autistic in her own way, <laughs> <laughs> that... He realizes something's wrong when somebody starts trying to kill both of them. Yeah, wait a minute. It's revealed that his only skill that he's absolutely the best in the world at because of his autism is is not accountancy, but what? killing motherfuckers. He's really, really good at it. Bringing as well. that shine. That he's got like secret caches of like weapons and big, you know, Gatlin gun traps in his house. And like, he's a badass. And you're like, okay, this is cool. He's like John Wick if he was severely autistic. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I mean, at its worst, there's a twist towards the end that's not even that big of a twist. No, it's very, it's telegraphed. Yeah. And I think you're supposed to figure it out. I don't think it's, it's, the movie doesn't depend on the (gasps) moment. It's one of those like, okay. And I remember saying to myself, man, I hope this is it because that would be cool if that was the case. Yeah. And then it was. And you're like, oh, okay. Well, that's cool. And now now everybody gets ice cream. Now I even more want to see an accountant too. Yeah. (laughs) The double Uh, entry. (laughs) Boom. Nailed it. I see what happened there. Uh, J.K. Simmons is in this. John Bernthal. Jeffrey Tambor, Gene Smart, Allison Wright. I mean, this is a good cast. It's a fun movie. The action is filmed very well, which is one thing. Just you get two stars automatically if you're a Hollywood big budget film and you know how to shoot action. Because mm-hmm. it seems like hardly anybody in Hollywood does know how to shoot action. Not, not anymore. Like, I don't know what happened to them. It's just like... because it's cheaper to just throw it to the editing room and let them do a choppy. Oh, yeah. You know, I guess. the Jason Bourne technique of shooting an action <laughs> scene. This doesn't do that. It's really, really well done action scenes. One thing, again, something this director, Gavin O'Connor, excels at, as we saw in Warrior, where you get two guys who are not professional fighters in real life who look like they're professional fighters well, and are kicking the living shit out of each I'm other. Not, I'm not a big Ben Affleck fan. I, and part of this movie helped me figure out what my big problem with him is. And it's his dumb mouth. Like, I hate the shape of his mouth. Just the shape of his mouth? Yeah. And obviously, this is a very critical remark. And, you know, it, it impacts a lot because he has a lot of control over the shape of his mouth. <laughs> Okay, he doesn't. So, but but it's, it's like it's you could call it an afflection. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it helped me realize, like, oh, that's what I hate about him. That's not really sane. <laughs> but we all did. There's some actors that I'm just like, I know there's nothing technically wrong with them, but they do this thing that drives right. me up the yeah. wall. But like it, Laura Dern does a thing whenever she has to cry, she suddenly looks like a toddler. She has this thing. She goes yeah, and curls her mouth up, and I'm just like, oh, I hate it when you do that. She is no longer wild at heart. Yeah, uh, but no. So. This movie, like, it identified that for me, so I'm able to address the the, the situation. And then <laughs> the the way that uh, he he played this, uh, very true to character, where he's not uh, full of braggadocio. No, not uh, even slightly. Like, I really liked it, and I I went into it thinking, like, oh, this is going to be one of those piece of shit action movies. Well, and I like that everything it sets you up for to think it's going to go a traditional action movie route. It, mm-hmm goes a different way. Yeah, like, I really appreciate that. Like you think that. the whole movie is going to end up being a team up between him and Anna Kendrick, and it's not. Yeah. Or a love story between the two of them. 
and it's not. Well, to be fair, his his love is is money penny. Yeah. Well, maybe we haven't actually met her yet, <laughs> but I I did. I thoroughly enjoyed this, and I will go, come back to this movie several more times for sure. It's just fun. Uh, I, I was actually kind of baffled coming out of the theater that not every, everybody loved this as much as I did. <laughs> I was like, what? You people are crazy. A uh, couple bonus features on here. Uh, most of them are admittedly just EPKs, but, you know, what have you. But at least we're getting this fucking thing on Blu-ray, which is good because it's gorgeously shot. Mm-hmm. Really like this movie. Uh, definitely my personal pick of the week, but I'll go ahead and put The Handmaiden on the sidebar because that's the better film. Agreed. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> anyway, that brings us to the end of Digital Noise. No, we did it. We did it. We did it. Once again, please become a subscriber. Oh my God, I can't tell you how much it would. I would personally appreciate it if you become a subscriber. I mean, I'll become your handmaiden. I will take your name and I will write it in my own blood on a little scrap of paper, and then I will set it on fire in front of my satanic altar and wish you good blessings for the year. Dude, that's as good as you can get. It's pretty good. Um, and then of course use those Amazon links, click on those, buy stuff. We get kickbacks. So helpful. Anyway, we'll be back in uh, – well, we won't be. be Rich, Richard and Marco will be back soon with a whole bunch of new stuff, including the trilogy of uh, – I believe it was uh, Mike's first three films. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting. Anyway, yeah, we'll be back uh, soon with them. And until then, um, I don't know, keep watching or some shit. Yeah, do, do, something. Just do something. Entertain yourselves. Buy stuff. Watch it. Have fun. And Tell subscribe. your friends that we're the ones who told you about it. 